episode 494, Rethinking the Power of Fatherhood with Gary Rogers. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of the number one men's development podcast that is now a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive. And it is my mission to share you the real stories, the useful stuff, the juicy stuff, and the reality of what it takes. Get to the podcast. Okay, this week we're going to be thinking about rethinking fatherhood and, you know, how to be a great dad. We've got Gary Rogers on the line and he's the author of Unlocking the Power of Fatherhood. So I'm really excited to dive into this one. So firstly, Gary, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? (laughs) I guess, whatever that is. (laughs) It's awake. It's awake. It's all good. (laughs) So um, that was quite a brief introduction. Is there anything you'd like to add or highlight? What are you all about at the moment? Well, uh, I am. What I'm all about at the moment is is sharing with young fathers, particularly um, the wisdom I gleaned from a being raised by an incredible father, and two being the typical young man that we are. I, testing all his principles and finding out his principles were correct. So I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm quite a bit older than probably most of the people on your podcast. And I have, I have some number of years left, whatever that is. And I just, well, for, for those, the, for those who are obviously listening to it and can't see, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 70. 70. Okay. But I'm self-identifying as 42. You know, we're all <laughs> self-identifying. So, and again, I, I, I'm assuming fatherhood and are you into uh, grandparenthood or <laughs> it's a different deal too yeah yeah but i just you know it, it is just in the years i have left and i think that I'm, I'm very healthy so i think it's going to be a lot of years what i want to do is 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 transfer whatever knowledge whatever wisdom i have and share it with as many guys and so uh you know help them be better fathers or help them step up to be a father if, they, if they're not being one at the moment. And, you know, it's no, no condemnation, no judgment about anybody where you are. It's, it's not really where you are, Adam. It's not where you start. It's where you finish. And so from wherever you are, I want to help you. I want to give you the information you need to become a better dad. Yeah. Because it's so critical. Well, it's really touching your origins. Like where are you speaking to us from today and where are you originally from? Why rethinking fatherhood? I live in a northern uh, suburb of North, North, North Houston, a place called the Woodlands. Uh, I was raised on a, in a small Texas Gulf Coast town that is about 60 miles due south of Houston in very small town, 1950s Texas, <laughs> you know, raised raised in a church that my grandmother and four other ladies started in the 1920s. It was just small Texas upbringing, which was really kind of pleasant and really, I didn't know it when I was a kid. You know, when kids, we don't really realize it, but yeah. I, I just had almost ideal childhood and just a great father to teach me. Why go down the route and why, you know, get to the point of releasing this book, Unlocking the Power of Fatherhood, which I think is a great title. And I'm really interested to, you know, to how we can unlock that. I mean, when you say rethinking fatherhood, what do you think we need to rethink about it? I think, I think manhood and fatherhood is getting a bad rep right now. 
And um, we, we need to rethink all that because it's having a very negative effect on our children. The absence of a father, uh, a father that either is pushed out of the home or a father that leaves the home or a father that never is in their child's life. You know, if you're not, a child needs a mother that brings certain things and he needs a father. And if one of those pieces is missing, it causes incredible damage. There's a book, um, I have it on my bookshelf, I'm in the middle of reading it, about called Boy Crisis. And it, talk, it lays out the statistics of <clears throat> what's happening to our boys because of lack of a father's presence. And, and the statistics of what happens to children when they don't have a father are horrible. I mean, they're like, they're, they're like more likely to commit a crime with a gun. They're more likely to get into drugs. They're going to live in, more, in poverty. I mean, just rights of unwed births. I mean, everything, every, every measure of health is damaged when there's not a father in the home. So we need to rethink what we're, what we're doing as men and as women, because sometimes women will push the father out. And they have the power to do that with where our legal system is, actually. So we need to rethink that. We need to rethink what are the principles that those children need and what kind of discipline do they need. And those things, the rate of fatherness is increasing as we go through time. But I, I'm going to tell you, the absence of a father will shove somebody into poverty and they may never get out of it. Well, I know you that, wanted to mention about victimiz victimization as well. Uh, let me talk about that because I yeah. think that's, real, that's a really important concept right now. My dad uh, con contracted polio as a very young child, maybe, maybe one year old. His right leg was totally paralyzed by polio. But the doctors told his parents, my grandparents, we need to put braces on his legs. They said, no, sitting with a doctor. And doctors aren't used to being told no in the 1920s. Everybody just did what the doctor said. And they said, no, he said, he'll never crawl, never walk, he'll never run, and never play with the other children. And they said, no, you're not putting braces on his legs. He's going to learn to walk. He's going to learn to run. He's going to learn to, he's going to have, basically they were saying he is going to have the life that he was meant to be. And we, as an act of our will, they didn't know anything. They didn't know what to do. They just, as an act of their will, willed him to walk. There's a lot of power when we as parents set our mind on this and say, this is the way it will be. Now, fast forward about 18 years. He's learned to walk. He's learned to do all the things. He decides that he wants to be an instrument man. Now, let me tell you what that means. These big, these big process plants where we make plastics and you know, gasoline and all that, have these big, tall distillation towers that are 50, 7,500 feet in the air. 
they have instruments on the top that measure pressure and temperature and all those kind of things. If you want to be an instrument man, you got to be able to climb up that tower and, and, and fix it and service it and calibrate it. There is a ladder bolted straight to the side. It's not a ladder leaning like you, we do with a, a ladder. It is straight up. He stood out at the bottom of that ladder with one good leg and one leg he used basically as a crutch. He just learned to lock his knee and use it as a crutch. And he looks up that ladder, he says, if I want this job, I gotta go up that ladder. And he did. How do you get from a baby carried from the hospital with a limp right leg to a young man looking up that ladder and saying, my destiny is at the top of that, my, that ladder and I, I am not going to let my fear keep me from going there. How do you get there? Because this is the basic decision. The thought, the words like empowering parents comes to mind. Yeah, if I could teach this one concept. When they took him home, they could, they could have babied him. They could say, poor, his name was Billy Ray. In the South, everybody has two names about them. <laughs> one, one name just a do. <laughs> they didn't let him feel sorry for himself. They didn't let him say, I can't. They didn't let him give up. And he developed, he developed an ethic that says in a way of life, just a basic, the basic core of his, of who he was is I am going to take on every obstacle that comes in my way and I'm going to keep on taking it on and keep on taking it on and, by, and I am going to overcome it. And that is the way it's going to be. Now, when I'm a kid and I want to say, say, daddy, I can't do that. He would look at me and say, Gary can't never could do anything. That was a common phrase back then. Can't never could do anything. Yeah. Adam, that's pretty hard to ignore when you're looking at a guy that's staying there with one good leg. Yeah. So that is, that is the central decision that we make on whether to be a sovereign over our life, to take sovereignty, the sovereignty that we have, personal sovereignty, or to be a victim. But it wounds my heart to see in our society so many people seeking to become victims because there's some kind of perverse joy in, I am this, therefore I can't do that. Yeah, and talking of challenges as well, and obviously your father had, you know, a big challenge to overcome for his life. But was there a time when you really struggled and it was a big challenge for you and you had to, you know, fight to awaken your alpha and, and it could be, or it could be just big challenges you had as a father yourself. Well, I mean, being a father has a challenge every single day <laughs> for you young guys. Let me tell you, it doesn't go away when your kids grow up either. <laughs> a good friend of mine, Tell me, you know, that we went to college with, we reconnected later in our lives. And she said, you know, we, we spent 20 years raising our kids and the next 20 years forgiving us ourselves, trying to forgive ourselves for all the mistakes we made. So there's mistakes and there's challenges. But just to take it out of the parental, because the parental thing, because if I do the parental thing, I had to talk about my kids and I'm not, not going to talk about my kids without their permission. But I was a home builder 
And I decided to leave like a 20 year career in the chemical business and start a home building business. And I, a kind of a, a hunt town of about 175,000 people in the Texas Panhandle. Along come, came the building crash in 2009. Everybody remembers. Mm-hmm. Lehman Brothers went down, AIG was going down. You know, the housing industry just collapsed. And I found myself with spec houses that weren't selling and, and custom jobs not, not coming to me because nobody could get a loan. So it was the biggest crisis of my life. And um, it was, you know, the, the mortgage company was calling three times a day. You know, <laughs> nine, months behind, nine months behind on your mortgage. It was horrible. I mean, we, we had a, I, I describe it as a stack of bills, 12 inches high and a stack of money, two inches high. That's about the way it was. And we were going to a deeply, deeply in debt. I could have filed bankruptcy. I could have given up. I could have let my house go into foreclosure. But there was something in me that said, you just can't do that. And my, my, actually my lender said, Gary, have you considered bankruptcy? And I said, yeah, I had my, my wife's best friend's husband came over the other day and told me I'll file bankruptcy. <laughs> he said, he said, why aren't you going to do that? I said, because I'm my father's son. And he said, well, let me ask you this. He said, if you file bankruptcy, would you go back and pay everybody? I said, absolutely. He goes, okay, no point. But my reason was, and that's what I told my wife's best friend, and I really appreciate him because he was genuinely concerned for us. The stress was really high. Our marriage was cracking. And he had the courage to come over and talk to me. That's what a man does, you know? And I thanked him for it. I said to myself, if my father could learn to walk with one good leg, I could see my way through this. And Martha and I, we, we were, we were cracking. I mean, the financial pressure was just horrendous and our marriage was cracking. And we just, we just stayed together until we, and that's another whole story about how we got through that. But we stayed together and saw it through together. Sometimes we were arguing and fighting and fussing and all that kind of stuff, but we stayed together. We just wouldn't quit. Mm. And I had no idea, Adam, when I made that decision, I had no idea how I was going to get out of it. I really didn't. How long did it take you to just kind of climb out of that? About 10 years. <laughs> so about recently, until recently. <laughs> yeah. When I was a young man, I was uh, 20 years old. I went to the ghetto of New York City and worked in inner city ministry. We lived in the ghetto, really the ghetto, a ghetto of New York. So we lived in the most na- dangerous neighborhood in New York City. And it was, there were a lot of, uh, there was a big emigration of, of blacks from the South in the seventies. And a lot of, a lot of them went into the Northern cities and then they, there were jobs. Everybody was on welfare. What I, what I saw there was this. 
I, every there were there were people there were black black families and there were Puerto Rican families. The Puerto Ricans, uh, the father was in the home and he had a job, and the, the family unit stayed intact. The black community, there was no there was not a single father and single black family in our block. And these are blocks with you know six story apartment buildings going up again. There was not a single black father. And I asked why, and they said, because the welfare system, the welfare system prohibits the father from being in the home. If there's a father in the home, they couldn't get welfare. It's called aid to families with dependent children. Still today, if there's a father in a home and you're on welfare, you get a lower check than if there's not. So it literally, uh, it really pushed the fathers out of the home. Horrible. Now you have a single mother raising a child in the most dangerous neighborhood in New York City. What, what results from that is the thought that that comes to us today is, and, and it, it's my problem with all the, the racial talk today, is it says to a black child, you, you can't, you can't make anything of your life because you're black. That's what it says to them. You have to wait until we get all this fixed, this fixed. So what you do when you tell a black child that this is really what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for the activism. We really need to understand racial dynamics in our country better than we do because there is, there's, well, we need to understand what it really is. But when you say to a black child, you can't do, do it until we get all this racial stuff fixed, it's not going to be fixed in his lifetime. No. So you condemn him. Where I was a child with a dad, and this is this is the real power of if I want to say there's lots of different elements of the power of fatherhood. What I would say is the difference between where I, how I was raised, where my dad literally told me that I could do anything I wanted to do, and wouldn't let me give up. That's how I was raised. That's what my father said. When we push the fathers out of the home, and we have done that. Hopefully, you know, there's a lot of people will argue whether it's intentional or unintentional. I think it's probably unintentional. But when we push the fathers out of our home and we say to a black child, and, and I, I mentioned the black children because that's, that's where most of, that's the highest percentage of, you can't because you're black. The, the odds are stacked against you because you're black. And he doesn't have a father standing there saying, no, son, that's not right. Mm. He's at the mercy. He's at the mercy of a false narrative. Because the reality is there's a lot of black children and black families who do well. Yeah. That's, that's just not true. For those people listening who they do have children, you know, they're a father, could be a young father or, you know, their children, you know, they're still children. They're not grown up. What are some, what is some more advice or some key things to unlock in the power of fatherhood for them? So, you know, they make, we all make mistakes, but they make maybe less mistakes or they're aware of when they make mistakes. Okay. So I think it's really a couple of things, a couple of things. 
and one of them has another story attached. I love to tell stories, of, but raising them with a set of standards that they make decisions based on. It's not so important that your children make good decisions, all, all good decisions while they're home. I mean, that, that, that's important to do, but they're not gonna do it. Right? I mean, I'm 70 years old, I, don't, I, I still make bad decisions. What's important, you're not, we, we, when, we're, when we have kids, we think that's the major part of their life, it's not. Our childhood, that first 18 years of our childhood to prepare us for what the real part of our life is. So making bad decisions and doing, doing wrong stuff, I mean, needs to be, you know, there needs to be discipline, needs to be appropriate discipline, and they need to understand that there's, there's consequences for actions, but that's, that's not as important as, as raising them with a set of standards that they can take with them that when they're out of your home, when they're on their own, they're making standards-based decisions, not circumstance-based decisions. There happens to be a chapter in the book about that, but they're making standards-based decisions. There is a, um, there is a, there was an event in my life that really illustrates this well. I was about, I think I was probably a junior in high school, and uh, my parents, I went to every church service, I went to every youth thing, <laughs> it was just our life, and uh, he expected me to be a leader and an example, and so they, you know, all the adults around the area decided it'd be great to get their kids together on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> None of the kids thought that was a good idea, but all the adults did. And I was working. I worked, I worked after school every day. I worked on Saturday. And, and I was a surfer. I like to surf. We lived near the beach. And Sunday afternoon was really the only time I had to do that. And they were having these youth meetings. I said, Dad, I don't want to go to that. And he goes, okay. But, but then he started to challenge me. He said, you can make this decision. He says, but it comes down to this, Gary. It comes down to what your responsibility your responsibility is. It comes down to what kind of person you need to be. You, need to be, you want to be. It comes down to you doing things. And, and, and all these didn't particularly pertain to that event, but he took that as an opportunity. He said, what, what kind of person do you want to be? What is your responsibility? Uh, what did you say you would do? Now, if I fast forward into my building business when it was collapsing, I had plenty of opportunities to not give a customer a fair price, not to give a customer the real price. But those words rang into that. And I met those responsibilities to my customers even when I didn't have the money to do it with. You know, that, that, those concepts of who you are, what's your responsibility, doing what you said you would do. A man doesn't need a contract to do his healing. A, a real man doesn't need a contract to force him to do what he said he would do. He only needs a contract as a record of what they, they said to do. Those are two very different things. Yeah. Right. 
So just you know, leaving a leaving a home with an example that you can overcome and you can be everything you want to be, and you have the ethic, the ethic to do that, and you have a set of standards to base your decisions on. If you can accomplish that with your children, they'll make some mistakes. They'll, you know, they'll go through young adulthood and adolescence and you think, gee, they're just trying to make, prove to me how to be a parent. They're going to make mistakes, but you're going to give them a foundation that they can base their life on. Definitely. And we're going to move into the alpha round now. And obviously we've got your book, Unlocking the Power of Fatherhood. And you, I think you mentioned a book earlier, but has there been a particularly impactful book in your life or one you'd just like to recommend? Well, I would recommend, let me see that. I would recommend uh, Boy boy crisis adam mm -hmm. uh, it's by it's by a guy a couple of guys that are phds that are really well versed in this and, and i think uh i think if you if you pick that book up and learn, you would learn a lot about the crisis of our boys because this whole situation is really really hurting our boys and that's not good for us yeah and is there a particular quote that really sums up your own approach to life uh, could just be an all-time favorite quote or one that you know you might have up in your office somewhere that sort of thing my favorite quote of all time well my, my second let me give you my second favorite quote okay. uh they're both by mark twain and he said um no they're not both by mark twain he said the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. The discovery of why you were born. You asked me before when was the when was the moment I, I started doing this back in March 2016 when, you, when we first started. That was the day I think I figured out why I was born. I think this message is what I was born for. Awesome. My favorite quote is um, from Robert Frost. And it, it says, um, let me see if I can find it so I don't misquote it. Here it is, chapter one. <laughs> Imagine that, <laughs> chapter one, sovereignty of choice. <laughs> it says, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Two roads diverged in a wooded, diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And who is that by? Is that Mark Twain? That's Robert Frost. Robert Frost, you did say. Yeah, you did. Robert say. Frost. And that has made all the difference. Okay. The well-worn path that's in front of you is probably not where your real, your real purpose is. <laughs> Definitely. And if people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way they can connect with you and find out more? Uh, you just go to, uh, they, they can just send me an email at, uh, at Gary at RethinkingFatherhood.com or they can go to the website and connect, connect through there. Awesome. Or they can call me on the phone. Would you like my phone number? I can put, well, I can put that on the show notes or if they email you might be, might be better or just, you know, go uh, and check it. Yeah. Email's good. Yeah. When it comes to unlocking the power of fatherhood, is there anything you feel like we missed and you, you want to get across just in kind of closing the show out? Is there anything really you wanted to get off your chest with unlocking the power of fatherhood? Well, what, what I would say is life, 
life is a pursuit of purpose. When, when we find out the, the, what that is, your purpose is probably on the other side of the greatest struggle in your life. There, there is a value in going through those, I call it storms, like going through a storm. I was raised on the Gulf Coast. We know all about hurricanes, right? There's a value of going through the storm because to get to your purpose. That's why I like the Twain quote. I mean, the, the Frost quote, because it's the less worn path. There's people don't walk that. Reasons people don't walk that path because it's hard. Mm. So our greatest, our destiny and our highest purpose is on the other side of the biggest obstacle in our way. And the reason it's there and, and my, my storm was what I describe in the building business. It, it changed me. There, there is something that happens in the midst of the storm. Because in the midst of the storm, we become transformed. We become, through that, we become the person we need to be to accomplish the purpose for which we were created. Great way to close the show. Gary, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. I enjoyed visiting with you. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. Increase your influence, income, and impact. If you've ever thought a TEDx talk is something that would be cool to do and help share your message, please do head over to Talk accelerator.com that's talk x c e l e r a t o r.com forward slash masterclass and you can get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a tedx speaker and thought leader without desperately chasing and wasting your time on the wrong opportunities it really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own tedx talk all right have a great week amplify your message and amplify your mission do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back.